This episode is brought to you in partnership with Life Kitchens. Life create kitchens to be lived in, planned around your life and the way you live it. Explore their unique ranges and book a design consultation for a personal and practical approach to kitchens. Visit life-kitchens.co.uk We um, live our way to uh, the channel and gingerly crossed the channel, but we lost both engines and were in trouble about two or three miles off the coast. And so we had to mayday. And of course, when you do that, you risk losing your boat through the people who collect you. But when they heard it was a Dunkirk little ship, they all flocked around and took us into the harbor where we were going to have her restored. Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country and Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Martin Summers all the way from his home in Morocco. Thanks so much, Martin, for joining me. And we are talking about how you fell in love, fell in love with a little boat called Bluebird of Chelsea, which is currently being restored and renovated for the second or third time maybe, but was a huge part of your life for 30 years. When I asked you earlier how you'd like me to describe you, you said art dealer, boat owner, traveller, painter, jack of all trades, which is a very charming way of describing what an incredible life that you've enjoyed. But also buying a boat was actually not what you were expecting. Not at all. No, I know nothing about boats. (laughs) It all started back in 1982 or 83 when I was walking my daughter, Tara, along the embankment. And suddenly there was sunset and all the lights came up on Albert Bridge and the boats looked wonderful. And Tara said to me, Daddy, why don't we have a boat? And I didn't know what to say. And um, so I have a great friend called Scott Beadle, who knows everything about boats. And I said to him, why don't we buy an old boat and keep it on the river and just, you know, have fun? And he said, well, you know, what sort of a boat? And I said, well, I have no idea. I just like the idea. So he went off and he bought every known yachting magazine and came back with dozens of them. And he said, every boat in the world's for sale. But there's one in there that you're going to love. And he didn't tell me which. And so I flipped through magazine after magazine after magazine and eventually came upon the photograph taken in 1931 of Malcolm Campbell on his boat Bluebird. And I looked at it and I thought, this is the most beautiful boat I've ever seen. What do we do? And so he um, got hold of the broker and said, I have a client who's interested. And they said, well, the boat's lying in the south of France, in Gros du Roi, in the Camargue. But if you want, you can go and see it. So Scott and I and a girlfriend um, flew down eventually to Marseille, rented a car, and drove to Gros du Roi. And our first glimpse of Bluebird was appalling. She was in really shabby shape. And uh, 
the owner was very overexcited and said, oh, you must come out for a cruise. And so we went on board and one engine worked. But it was <laughs> it was an appalling sight, the Keith Robinson wiring and sort of wet wood and, oh, appalling. And I didn't like to say no thank you right away. So we sort of came back to the quay and I went to my car and I found that we'd been robbed. Oh, no. And all my money and passports and everything, all I had left was one credit card. I didn't think that was going to work. So the owner could obviously see I was very upset. And he said, please don't make a decision now. Go and have a good meal and let's meet tomorrow. And don't stay in this hotel because we've got bed bugs. Go <laughs> do uh, um, at the local town. Egg mocked, and uh, there's a good hotel there and a good restaurant. So off we went there. And at midnight, when we were completely drunk, we decided to drive back and have another look at Bluebird. And it was snowing, and, and we went back and we went on board because there's no need for a key. And we had an imaginary dinner party, and we had a bottle of brandy with us. <laughs> and we had all our favourite people for dinner. And the boat looked absolutely wonderful, of course, at night. And then I went back to the car and the battery was flat. <laughs> and it's now four o'clock in the morning. And the only people I know there are the police because I reported the theft. And so eventually the police took me back. And we got back at about six o'clock, but I had to leave to get to the airport. So I tried to pay my bill and they wouldn't accept a credit card and I had no cash and no checkbook. So I thought, who can I possibly borrow some money from? So I rang the owner of the boat and I said, if you left me, lend me 200 quid, I might buy your boat. <laughs> <laughs> and had we not been robbed, I wouldn't have bought the boat. That's but he did lend it to me and uh, I got a surveyor to come down and he said, the hull's okay, but that's about it. So we decided that I bought it for £12,000, which was, when you look at Bluebird now, do you think you could buy that for £12,000 35 years ago? It's amazing. Yeah. But we um, got her back to England through the canals of France. We got towed up as far as Lyon because everything south of Lyon flows towards the Mediterranean and everything north of Lyon flows towards the Channel. So we got a tow up as far as Lyon and then we got the one engine working and we um, limped our way to uh, the Channel and gingerly crossed the Channel, but we lost both engines, uh, the, the only remaining engine, and we were in trouble about two or three miles um, off the coast. And so we had to mayday. And, of course, when you do that, you risk losing your boat through the people who collect you. But when they heard it was a Dunkirk little ship, they all flocked around and took us into the harbour where we were going to have her restored. That's wonderful. And, and um, that was how she got back to England. As a, a proud member of the 
Dunkirk Little Ships. That's a, um, I mean, she is a very special boat. It's not just the association with Sir Malcolm Campbell, but to be one of the, the little ships, that's very much um, a very important part of her story. Well, very much so. Campbell designed her with Thornycroft in 1931, and she was built on the lines of a First World War M uh, MTB, motor torpedo boat, so she's very sleek. <laughs> but in 1933, he had a premonition that the petrol engines he'd installed were going to blow up, and so he sold the boat. He had his eye on another one, actually. And she went through various owners and was under the ownership of a Commander Fuller when she went to Dunkirk. And she played her part there. People have the misconception that the Dunkirk little ships went from Dover to Dunkirk and back. It wasn't so much like that. What they needed was shallow bottom, shallow draft boats to get the soldiers from the beaches to the troop carriers. And so you did lots of little runs backwards and forwards with 40 or 50 people on board and deposited them on the troop carriers. Bluebird had a great coat wrapped around her prop, which they cleared away and proceeded. But then somebody filled up with what they thought was petrol and it turned out to be water. Oh, golly. And so she was abandoned and was drifting in the channel, was picked up by a Dutch vessel and brought into harbour and then was returned to the Navy and went up to the north of Scotland and was a radar decoy ship during the, during the war and played a very important role. And then after the war, she again was in various hands. At one stage, she was in the Dartmouth Naval College and uh, she sank. And that probably should have been the end, but they decided to bring her up. And they dusted her off and sold her. Somebody changed her name to Goldfinch. Oh, really? With a blue bit of her. And um, then she got, it was in the Mediterranean for most of the 60s and 70s. And a, an owner from Florida owned her and put her into this port in the Camargue where she had not moved for two years and nobody had been on board. So you can imagine the state she was. I'm just looking at um, your wonderful book called Bluebird that you wrote. When did you publish mm. the book? I published it in 1991 because in 1990 was the 50th anniversary of Dunkirk and a man called Christian Brand decided to write a book about all the Dunkirk little ships. So he went to all the owners and gathered material and everything. And when he came to Bluebird, he said, I've got so much material about Bluebird that you could write a book. So I said, well, I will if you'll publish it. And he did. And there it is. But I, I think you... Scott did all the illustrations. It's absolutely... It's, it's like a love story. And... Um... 
the the bluebird so she gets her name from um morris Miterlink uh, and his mm. the bluebird and you've put i love you've called it act one as you open the book act one the dream begins and then you've put a little quote from Maeterlinck. I can do without the grass that sings at a pinch, but I must absolutely have the bluebird. It's for my little girl, she wants to be happy. And that's, uh, I think that's such a, um, a wonderful description of, of why you wanted it. You wanted it for your little girl. <laughs> I wanted it for my little girl. And I also like the grass that sings. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, I mean, it, it's quite extraordinary when you look through the images in this book because she was in quite a shocking state. I mean, I, I was oh, absolutely it, shocking. I mean, it doesn't seem like you cut corners on her. You were you were very committed to making her as beautiful as as possible. Well, without Scott, who is a remarkable fellow, a, a brilliant artist, he illustrated uh, the book and did sketches for the sinks and the baths and the galley and everything. And he knows he built a boat himself once when he was in Mexico. And he knows exactly how things should be nautically. And so we got the best equipment and the boatyard took the propeller, which had to be replaced, and turned it into a compass. And little details like that, which are charming. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely lovely. And what I, you know, what I'm slightly more fascinated by is the interiors because you have used a lot of beautiful, well, is it, is it a mahogany or is it, what sort of wood have you used inside? And I love the fact that you've sketched the original, you've used an original design for the galley, which has been, which was sketched on the back of an envelope at the Antelope pub in Poole. <laughs> it seems to me that a lot of her um, design and, the regeneration was come up with ideas when you had a drink in your hand? Uh, well, I can't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> and we would drive down from London um, every Friday afternoon to the boatyard and monitor progress. And when they came to making the wooden bath, which I'd asked for, they said, you can't do that. I said, well, if you could make a wooden basin, which I'd seen photographs of in yachting books, surely you can make a, a wooden bath to keep the water out and to keep the water in. Ooh, uh, ooh, uh. And so they said, well, we'll have to fit it to your hips. <laughs> so I sat and they measured the width of my hips <laughs> and because it had to be as small as possible and deep. But it, when you get in that bath, it is wonderful. It is, it's so pretty and it's actually, it's, a, it's mahogany, but it's inlaid with ash. I mean, the detail, right. the detail is extraordinary. Well, there were fine um, wood craftsmen at H&T Marine in Poole and they didn't cut any corners and it took a year, but it was methodical and it was well, absolutely well done. And so was there anything that you had to replace? Um, I mean, I, I see that you sort of, you took, yeah. You Everything. <laughs> but things like, you've taken um, the wheels out for, uh, were dismantled and then for varnishing. Everything had to be from, you strip the boat completely, inside and out. And anything that's rotten, 
you you throw away. And then you build the how, and then you gradually build the framework of my, you know, my my room at the uh, my bedroom, or the bathroom or the galley, and you. It was completely different interior construction to what originally was there. Campbell had two rooms aft where my bedroom is, uh, which were tiny. And there was the point in two tiny rooms and have one luxurious room. So you changed it, you changed it to one large single cabin. Yeah. And then there were two more cabins, one opposite the galley, which doesn't exist anymore because now it's an entertainment boat. They needed more galley space. And then there's a cabin up forward, for, which was Scott's cabin. And um, that's still there. But they put a, an awning aft, um, which I think slightly disposed the lines of the boat. But it does mean you can take the boat out in any weather. Yeah. Martin, I love, you have a Limoges dinner service, the Bluebird of Chelsea's Limoges dinner service. I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking sort of super yacht status to have a Limoges dinner service. It's just a- Oh, and cutlery was all engraved as well, EFC. <laughs> I mean, you and, um, had so much fun. Well, it's, yes, I love fun. And Scott and I would, you know, sometimes at two o'clock in the morning, if one was at a party or something, come on, let's take the boat out. And at Cadogan Pier, you can ship or slip your mooring at any hour of the day. If you're in Chelsea Harbour, you have to be two hours either side of high tide. So we could go out at four in the morning or four in the afternoon. It wouldn't matter. And we did countless trips. And we went to the north of Scotland. We went to uh, Brest, to Douanane. We did the Dutch canals. We did the French canals. And uh, we, we had, I mean, when we were doing the French canals, we, we had a car as well. And somebody would drive along. And so we were mobile and we had, um, people staying in hotels for weekends and dining on board. And when you're on the French canals, it's great fun because you moor alongside a restaurant. And then the, the chef comes out and has brandy afterwards. And he says, you know, where are you going? And you, and you say, we're going south or north. Where will you be tomorrow night? Because I have j'ai un ami avec un restaurant super. <laughs> <laughs> And so one get, one get passed from restaurant to restaurant. It was wonderful. And um, I love the idea because you were very, um, you had very strong ideas about how you wanted the interior. And you say that in the book, you say that um, you decided to standardize the color and type of fabric throughout, except for the main saloon seating and the master cabin. And so all oh. the history inside and out was green cord with red piping and matching green carpets. I mean, Correct. it's very smart. And tell me about the Peruvian wool mantas. What was that all about? I happened to be in Peru at one stage, two or three years before, and went to a little village called Chincheros 
in the Urubamba Valley and bought some of them, what they call mantas, which are sort of kikois, in the old fabrics, which they were um, selling because they wanted nice new plastic ones. And is that like, a, is, like a, is it like a, um, a picnic mat or a shawl or is it something you put over to keep you It's like a wraparound. Yeah, like a poncho, but maybe, yeah. yeah. That, that sort of thing. And anyway, it's a wonderful fabric because it's been out in the rain and, the you know, it's weathered. So when it came to what fabric to use in the cabin, the main cabin, in the saloon, I decided to go back to Peru and buy a whole lot of these mantas and use those as, as the seating, which was for 30 years in, absolutely impervious to stains or wine or, you know, and it was wonderful. They've changed it now because it's had its second and about to have its third incarnation of interior decoration. What I love about the Peruvian fabric is that it, it almost looks, um, it's such a fabulously colored textile and it looks like a, almost like a kilim um, with the mm. rich, rich colors. Um, That's it. It's such an unusual um, fabric to see in that setting. Um, and I just, and I love the fact that because you didn't, presumably come from a sort of boating background. You had, you, you had a completely unique idea when it came to the interiors. You, didn't, you weren't basing it on anything other than what you loved. No, in, in my bedroom, I bought a Warner fabric with the rose chintz. Um, and everybody said, oh, you know, it'll, the wet will get to it and it'll rot. But 30 years later, it happened. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely with the with and you've got bolsters and you I think you it looks like you put it up the side of the walls as well. Oh yes. Yes, yes, it was on all over the walls and on the counterpane. It must have been incredibly romantic just listening to the um listening to the sound of the water outside, being in your sort of moon oh. of chintz. Yes, and when one's of course if you're on the river or anything or not in London, it's complete silence. And then you'd, you'd be in some French canal and you'd moor in next to a field and we'd watch the stars because Scott is an um, astronomer and he knows every star and see, he would tell me what was going on. And uh, we had Graham, who was the chief engineer, um, whose father had a uh, electrical shop in the King's Road and he joined the team he sadly died some years ago but the three of us would have the most wonderful fun I'm sure and when are you going to see her again Martin are you coming over yeah I'll be back at the end of June um, Covid willing and uh, then I shall take Rupert out again because I can't resist it <laughs> And um, they've, last year they missed the Dunkirk return because every five years, what remaining Dunkirk little ships are capable of it, go back to Dunkirk in a commemorative voyage in the last weekend of May. And two years, no, in 19, 
15, there were 72 boats. And it should have been in 1920, 2020, um, and will be again in 2025. There won't be many veterans left. But when we go to Dunkirk, they are incredibly hospitable because they know that we saved, you know, 100,000 French soldiers as well as British soldiers. Yeah. Incredible story. It is an incredible story. Um, and so she's now, um, it's the Chelsea Yacht Club that own her now, and you are yeah. president, president, is that right? Well, technically, I think I'm the Commodore. Oh, the Commodore, um, excuse me. It's but I, I think... I'm not very good on my nautical parlance. <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, uh, I need to shape up. <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to finish with a lovely, you've got a... Um, a lovely forward at the start of the book by Raymond Baxter, who was the Honourable Admiral of the Association of Dunkirk Little, Little Ships. And he, mm. says, he says of Bluebird of Chelsea, clearly she has been a lucky ship. Um, had she not by, been rescued from almost certain extinction by a man of meticulous taste, she would not enjoy her present splendor. And I think um, that's a, a marvelous um, endorsement of, of your love for her and, and, you know, how you kind of, you know, having so, uh, the ownership of some, something as special as the Bluebird doesn't necessarily end once your time with her is finished. You is a kind of, you know, it's like a love affair that d goes on and on. And it's it's wonderful to know that she's still very much in your heart. Oh, uh, well, we are custodians and she's in somebody else's custody now. But she's set fair for the next hundred years now. I mean, she's not going to be forgotten. And uh, she will be passed from hand to hand. And she is a lucky ship. I was a lucky ship man to find her. Yeah, well, it's a wonderful story, Martin, and thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett and keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. For more news and views in the world of interior design, sign up to our newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk and why not listen in to our sister podcast, Breakout Culture with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Fruity Metcalf. <laughs>